Welcome to The Shift Show with Adriana Bucci. Join me every week to learn all about narcissistic abuse recovery, healing from physical and emotional pain after the abuse, and everything else to do with toxic people and how they affect your physical, emotional, and mental health. And no, you are not the crazy one. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Let's get right to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 25 of The Shift Show. This episode is going to be pretty depressing, I guess. <laughs> so, um, something that I haven't really talked about too, too much is the fact that my narcissistic mother actually recently passed away in July. So I thought I would talk about that because I'm sure, you know, so many, you know, probably everybody who has narcissistic parents, right? Like they've probably had these thoughts of, am I going to regret setting boundaries or going no contact when they die? Right. And that was something super, super freaking scary for me, um, all throughout my life. Like I, as a child, like my mom kind of put this thing in my head of when I die, you're going to be sorry, or you're going to regret this, or you're going to wish you treated your mother better. And it's like, okay, I'm like five years old. Like what the fuck? Right. So, you know, it's, it's not something that's talked about very much because death is a pretty touchy subject with most people, obviously, for obvious reasons, but I'm going to talk about that today. So I guess consider this your trigger warning. Um, so yeah, you know, Talking about narcissistic mothers is taboo, talking about death is taboo, and today I'm doing both. <laughs> and I'll probably talk about this subject a little more in the future as well, because it's just so not talked about, and it's not, there's not that much information about it. Um, so my hope by sharing this is that it's, it's just going to help other people as well, because, you know, it's, it's a resource that I wished existed as well um and you know definitely definitely I had some very hard moments when this was all going down so I will you know I'll just start where I'm gonna start <laughs> so pretty much like when I first started to set boundaries with my mom I would always wonder if I would regret it when she died and this always stemmed from my childhood of her saying when I die you're gonna regret whatever um, which is pretty fucked up to say to a five-year-old if you ask me, but I digress. That was not my choice. <laughs> and when I moved out of my mom's house, um, because I just couldn't handle her narcissistic abuse anymore, I also wondered if I would regret it when she died. Um, I even walked out of her house during Christmas dinner one time in 2016 because she refused to respect my boundaries around a conversation I didn't want to have and you know this conversation had to do with my father and you know it was around it was about a year it was January 2016 when I really like found out the truth that you know my dad wasn't such a horrible person after all and all that kind of stuff um, and so it had been not even a year really that I had this kind of knowledge right so I was like, I had moved out by that point because that was just like, OK, 
okay, she's a liar. Screw this. Um, she had tried to financially handicap me so that I wouldn't be able to move out, right? So she just used financial abuse as a means of control for me. And, um, you know, I just, after I found out the truth about my dad and it was really like the last straw, the last straw was the fact that when it was New Year's Day 2016, right? So 2016 was like, I guess, a pretty good year. A big year, actually, not a good year. Um, it was, you know, there were good things that happened. I had gotten engaged to my now husband. You know, there were wonderful things that happened that year. But it was also a really shitty year because it was January that I made that decision, New Year's Day, that I needed to move out of her house. And I knew she was narcissistic from since 2014, but I kind of made that choice to shove my head back up my ass because it was a little too much for me to really understand that she was narcissistic. Um, so, you know, it was like December 2015 that I started really understanding again that she is narcissistic. She is very toxic and maybe she's not the healthiest person for me to be around. And I started just noticing things. So it was it was um, that January, January 1st, when I came home, because it was New Year's, New Year's Eve the night before, obviously, right? So I, you know, stayed at a hotel with uh, friends and my fiance or my boyfriend at the time, um, my now husband, and I came home the next morning and I put my coat on the chair by the front door because that's where I always put my coat, right? Um, we have a closet, had a closet, but it was busted and I never used it because it was busted because she would always yell at me for opening it wrong and making it more busted um, instead of, you know, just repairing it. <laughs> so like things that just don't make any sense with narcissistic mothers, right? So I put my coat on the chair like I always did every single day, never an issue in my life before. And then she decided that day was the day that this was going to suddenly be a problem. So I kind of, at this point, I was really on to her and I knew like she's a narcissist and anything she says is just ridiculous. So I was starting to like emotionally detach, I guess. And I made this comment of, I'm going to film you. <laughs> that pissed her off. So she actually got up and punched me in the shoulder and walked away and started screaming about how I'm a horrible daughter and she wanted to kill herself. So the punch didn't hurt because she was in her 70s, um, but still, nonetheless, just the idea that like she literally just fucking punched me in the shoulder. I'm an adult here. I'm trying to explain to her how she's being ridiculous and she resorts to violence that's not okay. That is not cool. So that was literally the day I made that decision to move out. So I moved out by March. Um, fantastic. So, you know, and I like had a relationship with my dad at this point because I was not allowed to have a relationship with him for the longest time. Or, you know, I was brainwashed really to believe he was like this horrible monster. I think that story is probably going to be for another podcast episode because I feel like I'm kind of going off topic uh, quite a bit already. But um, yeah, so yeah, I guess I was talking about the Christmas dinner, why I walked out. So she was talking shit about my dad again and basically saying how like all the same lies that she tried to get me to believe growing up that he abandoned us, that he didn't pay for child support, all that kind of shit, which ended up being complete bullshit. I found documents confirming it was bullshit. Um, I, I will 
I'm going to have an episode like specifically on that because it's, it's a lot to unpack, uh, to just briefly talk about. And I'm sure you're probably wondering like, oh my God, what documents did she find? And what else did she find out? So that's, that's going to have to be another episode. <laughs> a lot of people like in my circle have told me I should totally like write a book. Um, I probably will one day. So I guess stay tuned for that. But anyways, so I explained to her Christmas dinner, 2016, like we're not talking about this. We're not talking about my dad, um, whether it's positive or negative things about him. We were just literally not talking about him. And then she just got louder and continued to talk about him. And I was like, okay, like if you continue to talk about him, I will leave this house and like we're not having Christmas again. Um, so of course she continued to talk about him and at that point I decided like okay I am respecting my fucking boundary and I grabbed my husband's coat grabbed my coat grabbed the dog's coat (laughs) and we all proceeded to leave um but of course I wondered if I would regret the fact that I walked out on her on Christmas 2016 when she died right I totally totally wondered that and then I went extremely low emotionally detached and no contact with her it was like a mix between both just because of some legal issues that I literally can't talk about now because that is something I actually have to clean up right now (laughs) but I will share it when I'm legally able to um because that's that's just another fucking insane story as well um It is to my benefit. That is the only reason that I'm involved in this. Um, But yeah, so when I did make those boundaries of extremely low detached, no contact with her, I also wondered if I would regret it when she died. So she died in July. I was not expecting it. Um, I really figured she had another 10 years to go. Uh, She was only 76, and, you know, both of my grandparents lived to their very late 80s, so, you know, not expecting this to happen. And the answer to would I regret all those boundaries I set, would I regret going no contact, would I regret walking out of her house during Christmas dinner, would I regret, you know, moving out and setting any boundaries with her in general and like just not putting up with her abuse and the answer is no I have absolutely no regrets whatsoever I made the choice to put my mental and emotional health first okay she made the choice to be abusive on many occasions you know every day of her life pretty much she was making a choice to be abusive and you know, there's people who say that narcissists, like, you know, they're narcissistic because of their trauma and like, okay, that's nice. They had trauma. Cool. I had trauma too. And I don't fucking treat people that way. Right. So it's important to understand that just because they had trauma too, it does not mean in any way, shape or form that it's okay to be fucking abusive because they're making choices. And if you don't think it's a choice, like I want you to really think about why you don't think it's a choice on their part, because they are literally calculating ways on how they can get whatever supply they want out of you. And they go through like great lengths to get that supply. And they use their brains to figure out ways to be manipulative. So that's, that's pretty premeditated to me, if you ask me. 
and that makes that a choice, okay? Um, the same way a first-degree murderer would be found to be making a choice. Like, at that point, no one gives a fuck about your trauma. There's other people who have trauma, and they don't go around murdering people, right? So it's the same thing with nurses. I know it's like I'm not comparing apples to apples here, but, you know, they are making choices to, like, kill your spirit, right? Um, they are calculating ways on how they can, like, fuck you up emotionally or mentally or whatever. And it's not okay. Okay? So just understand that if you're going through this with your parents and they're narcissistic, um, they're, they're choosing to be narcissistic. They are choosing to not put you first. They're choosing to make you miserable. And it doesn't matter why they're making that choice. The point is that they're making that choice and it's not okay. So because of the choices my mother made to be abusive towards me, to alienate me from my father, to, you know, financially abuse me, not set me up for success, um, you know, all the abusive things that she's done to me in my life, I then made the choice to set boundaries. And I have no regrets whatsoever at all. Even when I learned that she was on her deathbed, I also didn't regret it. Um, I also didn't regret it at the moment that I found out she died. I have zero, zero regrets because the universe knows that I fucking tried. And she made the choice to literally push her only child away. And she made those choices that she made, which led me to make choices that would protect me from her web of drama. And that is not something that I can even try to regret, honestly. Now, that being said, were there emotions? Yeah. Like the grief, this type of complicated grief, it's a next level type of grief. Like I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say it was like super easy to deal with. I didn't shed one tear. I didn't ugly cry. I didn't, you know, grieve for the fact that like I'm losing the mother that I never really had. Um, you know, there was a lot of emotional pain when this was happening, but there was no regret, okay? I want you to understand that emotions are normal. It is so normal to have any type of emotion, especially when something like this happens. Um, but just because you have an emotion, it does not mean that you have regrets, right? Like, it's it's two different things. Like, regrets is like, it's it, it could be a feeling. Like, it's it's a feeling. It could be attached to emotions like shame, guilt, fear, whatever. Um, but just because you have those emotions, it does not mean you actually have to regret anything okay and like was my inner child in pain absolutely like there was so much inner child stuff that came up as this process was happening so like this this was going on since may okay like i got the phone call from the hospital that they had her <laughs> I think that's going to have to be its own separate podcast episode too. <laughs> um, but no, I actually might be able to tell some of that story in this episode. Um, but like, yeah, like pretty much, you know, I, there, there's emotional work. Like, do I still have emotional work to do around this? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. But like, it's not something that is keeping me behind. It's not setting me back. It's not stopping me from you know, pursuing my goals and whatever. And I just want to let you know that 
I don't regret any of my boundaries and I don't regret choosing myself for once, right? And I want you to also understand that death does not make somebody a saint just because someone's like we our society we have like this thing where we're like we just glorify dead people and you know like I get it like they can't stand up for themselves because they're dead they can't speak for themselves they can't share their side of the story but that also does not change what they did and it doesn't change that they chose to lo- to live their life however they chose to live their life and you know I'll get into yeah I'll talk about how I found out about everything um because that will lead me into the fact that they don't apologize or confess on their deathbed and to not expect that okay so pretty much um it was May I It's funny, I actually, like, she called me, my mother called me that day, or the day before, like, this all happened after midnight, it's such a fucked up story, so I I get a missed call from my mother, I didn't answer it, because I don't answer when she calls, I went home, listened to the voicemail, and it was like, I was laughing my ass off after I heard this voicemail, right, and like, at this point, I was kind of thinking, like, okay, she definitely definitely is losing her mind and maybe I should call senior services on her or something um because you know there, there had been like some signs that she was losing it a little bit um but you know I I didn't see her for a year over a year and I didn't really know what was going on in her life because I, I just kept it very 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 low emotionally detached con- uh, contact um more no contact than anything but you know if there was certain times where like you know, it seemed like she needed to talk to me because, like, I, I didn't know if she was losing her mind too, right? So I wanted to also be able to kind of gauge if uh, I needed to figure out to get care for her or something um, just because I'm the only next of kin. Like, she has absolutely nobody. She was living on her own, um, you know, her own fault and, you know, a little too nice of me to think, like, oh, like, should I get care arranged for her? But, like, you know, just to get someone from senior services to go to her house or something to take away her driver's license so she doesn't hurt other people like that's that's where I was at um so anyways she calls me I don't answer it I listen to her voicemail and it was it was kind of funny it was like oh hi Adriana it's me your mother Stella that's her name (laughs) I don't know why she had to clarify but like that's just messed up right um So two ladies came to the house for you today. Two ladies. Do you know them? Click. And she hung up the phone. And I'm just like, okay. Like, I was just laughing because it's like, okay, like, do these two ladies have names? Do they have descriptions? (laughs) Why would two ladies go to her house looking for me? Um, So we'll get to who those two ladies were in a bit. Um, (laughs) They weren't looking for me. So whatever, right? I just, I ignored the voicemail. I had no plans on calling her back. Um, and I just kind of like made a mental note. And like, if I got another voicemail like this, I'd probably call senior services to like do a welfare check on her and, you know, maybe get her put like somewhere. Cause she shouldn't be living alone. Anyways, it's after midnight, that same evening. So like the next day, I guess. And 
I was whitening my teeth with like just one of those Amazon kits. <laughs> so I'm like looking at my phone because like the whitening thing was like connected to like this thing you plug into your phone. It's it's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> and whatever. So I'm just like playing a game on my phone because it had to be like powered on for the light to to work for like the whitening. And she's calling me and it's after midnight. I didn't answer the phone. She didn't leave a voicemail, so I was just like, hey, it can't be important. She probably butt-dialed me and, like, whatever. Okay. Next morning, I wake up to another missed call from her at, like, 2.30 in the morning, but no voicemail. And then a weird phone number that I didn't recognize from, like, out of town. Um, and they left a voicemail. So that was the hospital, like, two towns away. Okay. So um, I don't know, like, if anyone's from the greater Toronto area. So I'm in Toronto. And this was, like, the Brampton Hospital. So if you're aware of geography, like, that's pretty far away. It's, like, a 40, 35, 40 minutes away. Anyways, the hospital calls me to let me know that they have my mom and that she's extremely disoriented. And uh, the police had found her on the highway at, like, after midnight. So, like, that was actually the police trying to call me, not her. Um, so she was disoriented, but she was lucid enough to know my phone number and give the police my phone number. So that was very interesting. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that. That's how that, that's how I found out. Cause realistically, if she, and she, so she had a heart attack. Um, she had a bunch of shit wrong with her heart attack, massive heart attack actually. And, um, yeah, like she just, yeah, so she had this massive heart attack, um, she was disoriented, and somehow she was able to give people my phone number, so whatever. But if this had happened to her when she wasn't, like, driving, like, out in public, like, this would have happened to her at home, and she would have died in the house, and, like, nobody would have known, right? So it's just interesting how, like, the universe worked for this. Uh, but anyways, so I, I didn't really want to talk to her like I didn't really know like the prognosis of her condition um I was the only next of kin so and power of attorney that like I forgot I had signed in 2011 so I kind of like had some legal responsibilities to deal with like the medical aspects of stuff um and make decisions on her behalf so whatever let me just say, I'm really glad that I did all the emotional work that I did before this happened, because if I didn't, I would have probably been an absolute wreck, right? And it's not like going through this was particularly easy just because I had gone through the emotional work. Um, it was still difficult, but it's just like I knew what to do. Like I knew how to not regret anything, you know? Like, yeah, emotions were there, of course, but I knew like I just have to feel into this emotion, allow myself to feel it, and then I can release it. So it was, it was a lot. It was a lot to go through. And um, I didn't really want to visit her or talk to her or anything like that. But then, I don't know. I just kind of wanted, I guess, to confirm that she was on her deathbed. Um, so I did visit her. I, I spoke to her on the phone. And it was just like, I, I wanted to confirm that, like, she wasn't all there because if she was still herself like there was no way I would have been able to do any of this at all so pretty much um she was like this broken record she was super nice which was super weird 
<laughs> and the hospital was super judgy towards me because I didn't really have answers for like her medical history. Like I didn't see the lady for over a year. We have a strained relationship. Like we don't really, we're not really in contact. Uh, yeah, I'm the next of kin, but I don't really know if she was on medication or whatever. And like, I was just met with a lot of judgment from this hospital. Um, they were assholes. But regardless, eventually, like two weeks later, um, they're like, okay, so she's, she hasn't eaten. Um, she's basically at the end of her life. Okay. We're going to try to move her to a hospice if she has a COVID test that comes out negative. I'm like, okay. Um, so yeah, I did visit her in the hospice just out of like curiosity, I guess. And she was, she wasn't there. Like it wasn't her. And that made me feel okay about the fact that I had even gone, right? Um, because if she was all there, that would have been, you know, it would have just been, like, more resentment, more anger, more of that kind of shit. And, you know, like, th there is no closure. Like, you, you can't expect closure from another person. So some people would say, like, oh, it sucks that she wasn't all there because then you got no closure. And it's like, well, she wouldn't have fucking given me closure anyways because if she was all there, she would still be hanging on to being right, right? And the fact that she wasn't all there, she was more hung up on, oh, I'm going to play the piano and we're going to eat uh, some smoked salmon and you and your husband and the dog are going to come and live in my house. And, like, that was just, like, the broken record that she kept saying. And it was kind of funny because it was just like, what planet are you on? Like, who are you like it was it was weird because she would never ever talk to me like that before and I could have gone into this whole thing of like oh my god she's nice now now I regret everything but no like that that was the disease like that's the dementia that's the Alzheimer's disease um and so I know like that was not not her at all and I had already kind of grieved her before any of this had happened um just because like I knew like she was not going to be part of my life anymore and I couldn't have her as part of my life because it was just, it was too much. Like I had to choose myself. So I'm going to talk about closure now, right? And I just want to tell you that a narcissistic parent does not apologize or confess on their deathbed. And I want to let you know that when the time comes, if you choose to visit your dying narcissistic parent, that is a personal decision that only you can make, right? And it's none of anybody's business if you do that or not, right? Um, I was reluctant to share, like, oh, should I tell them that I visit? But, like, fuck it. Like, I visited, and that was my personal decision. But I wasn't going there to get closure, right? Like, it was just, I don't know, I guess because I'm human, right? Like, <laughs> someone that you're related to is dying, you kind of want to be there for them, even if the relationship is fucking shit and they've been super abusive towards you, right? And, like, that's me, right? If you don't want to do that, you don't have to do that. Like, I'm not, there's no right or wrong thing to do. And only you can know what you're going to do when you're in the moment. And there's absolutely no wrong or right thing to do. Just, I want you to make sure that you're emotionally prepared to not receive any closure from them because you're not going to receive any closure for them. They're not going to have this coming to God moment of like, oh my God, I don't agree with how I've lived my life. I've been a shitty person all my life. Let me use these last couple of weeks of my life or however much time I have left to make amends with people. They don't fucking do that. They don't do that. And you need to understand that. 
And when it comes to closure, you need to understand that you're the one who creates your own closure. No one can provide closure for you except for yourself. And, you know, like what does closure mean to you? It's normal to want closure. It's normal to want validation from the person who hurt you, that they understand what they did and that they're sorry and that, you know, maybe they regret it, okay? That's so normal and it doesn't help when we see articles like over like on social media or like, you know, the local newspaper or whatever that's titled like, oh, here's the five regrets of the dying. And then, you know, that will get us to wonder if our narcissistic parents would have any of those types of regrets when they eventually go to their deathbed. The answer is no, absolutely not. And you're never going to receive closure from a person who has been committed to being right, misunderstanding you, and being abusive towards you. They're, not, they're just not going to give you closure. Like, that's something that you want from them. They're not going to give it to you. They're going to dangle it like a carrot, right? And even if they do, like, it's, it's going to be a manipulation thing for sure. And I know it's, like, really mean to say that about, like, people who are dying. But, like, when they're narcissistic and they're dying, they're still, they're not not narcissistic anymore unless they have some kind of brain damage or you know extreme dementia to the point where they're not even themselves anymore right so I just want to like just make sure you're aware of that and you understand that um and I just want you to make sure that you know that when the time comes when your narcissistic parents on their deathbed it's up to you whatever you do right you don't have to go to their funeral you don't have to go to their deathbed just because family tells you to. You, you don't have to do shit. Like, if you're done, you're done. If there's, like, a little bit of curiosity there that, like, you want to visit, like, that's fine too, right? But just make sure that it's your decision, whatever you do. And I also want to make sure that you don't expect that you're going to get closure from them or a confession or an apology or anything because it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen at all. I created the majority of my closure long before my mother passed away. And I knew that this day would eventually come. And I figured it would happen, like like I said before, it would happen 10 years from now, maybe. Just based on my grandparents' lifespan. And, you know, I had no idea how bad her health had gone. Like, I didn't know it went to shit that much. Um, didn't really care, to be honest, because she kind of did it to herself. Um, but obviously, the universe kind of had its own plans here. Um... So yeah, I created my own closure. I grieved the loss of the mother I never had before before she was dying. Um, I did this like a year ago. Um, you know, d doing the work, like you create your own closure when you do the emotional work. And even, you know, when she was dying and when she died, I did create a little bit more closure for myself as well. But that was all me. That was all my doing, my emotional processing, my remembering why I cut contact with her to begin with. Because, you know, your mind can go to different places when a really crazy event like this happens. Um, it was definitely a weird place to be in. And it didn't help with the hospital staff being assholes towards me. Like, I get it, COVID, like, they have other shit to worry about. But, like, for fuck's sake, like, not every family's the fucking Brady Bunch, you know? Um, so yeah, um, my own closure was what I had to give to myself, right? So doing the emotional work long before this happened, it really, really helped me create that closure. And I'm going to go through a few steps for you guys to understand how you can create your own closure. 
And it's going to help anybody who's struggling with feeling like they need some type of closure from a toxic person in their life. And this, this could be your, your parents, this could be a significant other, whoever, whoever it is who has been abusive towards you. Again, you're not getting closure from them. They're, it's not like this little gift that they're going to wrap up nicely for you and present to you in a little box and say, like, here's your closure, right? Closure is something that's going to have to come from within, from you, okay? You cannot get it from somebody else, even if it's, like, a healthy person. Like, you don't need closure from healthy people because, like, if you have, like, an amicable, amicable breakup with somebody, like, you're going to know why the breakup happened, right? If it's with a narcissist, it's going to be, like, really convoluted and, like, all this bullshit. And that's, that's when you're going to want to chase closure. And you have this belief that, like, oh, if I just get closure from this person, everything's going to be okay. But the thing is, you are never going to get closure from that person. And... The thing to ask yourself is, um, why are you putting so much power into the hands of another person? And the answer might be, oh, because they did this to me. And okay, yeah, they did that to you. They did choose to be abusive towards you. But what you have to understand is that they're still choosing to be abusive towards you by not giving you that closure, okay? You cannot rely on that person to give you any closure and... If you can see closure in a different light for like the overrated concept that it is, it won't matter anymore. And it's a pretty simple concept to be able to say like closure is overrated. It's just a concept, but it's easier said than done. And this is why doing the inner emotional work is going to help you with this big time, right? And, you know, always take baby steps. Don't give up when doing the work. And if you need support, absolutely reach out for support because it's not easy to do this work on your own. So if you want to work with me at all um, to figure out how to create closure for yourself, absolutely book something with me. I will include, as always, all the links to work with me. Um, my course, Transform Your Pain, is another amazing resource for this if you don't want to talk to somebody, right? It's a fraction of the cost as well of working with me one-on-one. -on -one. So that's just going to give you the outline of how to do the emotional work, right? But, you know, there is a level of empathy present when you are working with somebody one-on-one. -on -one. So that's totally up to you. If you're ready to invest in yourself and your transformation and want to do one-on-one -on -one work on this, totally totally do it like don't delay like the faster you start doing the work the faster you'll be able to handle whatever life throws at you so now I will continue this with the force the four keys to creating your own closure okay so key number one is to understand that you will never get closure from a narcissist like you need to believe it <laughs> You have to believe it. And, you know, deathbed or breakup or setting boundaries, whatever. If they tell you that they want to talk for closure, right? And this commonly happens after a breakup with a narcissist that, you know, they, they invite you over to talk about the breakup and you're already kind of aware that they're narcissistic. Maybe you're still in the bubble a little bit. Maybe you've had so many of these relationships that you realize that it is a trap and they're just trying to like get one last little bit of supply from you or to manipulate you some more or you know get back together so they can continue abusing you whatever it is you have to understand that this is a trap right it's they're keeping you around for like backup supply so if things don't work out with their new supply 
they they know that they can continue stringing you along. That's not closure. That's not fucking closure, okay? Understanding that this is a trap is going to help you realize that you cannot get closure from this person. Having a deep understanding of this fact alone can also help you realize that closure is not even real and that it's just a concept. And I will elaborate on that because that is key number two, that closure is just a concept. So ask yourself, what does closure mean to you? How do people get closure? What do people generally need closure on? How will getting closure from that specific person improve your life? If this is something you're really struggling with, um, I want you to journal on these questions. And once you journal on them and like really dig deep into them, you might actually have an epiphany where you don't even know what the fuck closure is for anymore. And it's just not even a thing. Um, You might come to find that like the narcissist silence is all the closure you need. You might come to find that only you can give yourself that closure that you're looking for and that you can't rely on other people for it. And this is actually really, really, really empowering because you take your power back this way. You put things back into your own hands and you're not relying on another person to do something for you that they are incapable of doing. Okay, so here's another way to look at it. Um, so a thing happens and there's consequences. So, for example... A tree gets hit by lightning and then the tree branch falls and knocks over a fence, okay? Does the fence have to ask the weather for closure? Or does the fence just like get repaired by the homeowners and it moves on with its life, okay? So it... I don't know if this is a weird metaphor or not, but it makes a ton of sense to me. And I think the same thing goes for narcissistic abuse. So you're the fence and somebody narcissistically abuses you, right? That is the tree getting hit by lightning and knocking you over, okay? So you're hurt and then you leave. That's just a natural consequence, you leaving because you're hurt, okay? You know that you're hurt. Do you really need this person who's incapable of self-reflection or empathy to agree with you that they're a piece of shit and that they hurt you? Or can you see that the consequence was that you left because you were hurt and that is fucking that, right? Like, that is such a great way to, like, reframe how to look at it. And this leads me to key number three of remembering that you can, in fact, trust yourself, You absolutely fucking can. It doesn't matter if it's a narcissistic parent, a family member, significant other. Your experience was valid. The emotional abuse that you endured was valid. I don't care if it's your mother. I don't care if it's your father. I don't care if you've been with this person for 30 fucking years and you have five children with them. Like, the point is... It doesn't matter how long you've known the person, how close you are to the person, how many DNA strands you share with that person. I want you to trust your experience. Okay? Let that sink in. Trust your experience. Trust yourself. Trust the fact that you knew it was time to get the fuck out or start setting boundaries or wherever you're at on your journey. Trust yourself. You're not overreacting. You're not crazy. You're not dramatic. You had a valid, terrible fucking experience with this person and they made the choice to abuse you. And this is why you left. 
trust yourself that you can make good choices when you are in a shitty situation, okay? Like, it's so important to just learn that you are capable of trusting yourself. You've been gaslit by these people. These people have made you think that you're the crazy one, that something's wrong with you, and this is why you don't trust yourself. But you're the one having the experience and you can trust your experience. So I just want you to understand that. And again, easier said than done. So if this is something that you need help with, that is totally okay. And there is no shame in that whatsoever. And this is literally why I offer one-on-one coaching. So absolutely, if you feel like this is something you want to work on, like we should talk. And key number four is to feel your emotions and do the inner work. Okay. Creating your own closure does not mean that you're not in any pain. You're probably experiencing some level of emotional pain if you believe that closure is what's going to solve everything for you or if you're even in a position where you feel like you need closure for something. The real thing that's going to solve your desire for closure is releasing those emotions so that you can let go, right? And the only way to let go is by completely feeling those repressed emotions. And again, easier said than done always easier said than done. It's not like, you know, if you don't know how to do it, you don't know how to do it and that's okay. And I will give you a free little tip here, which is rage journaling. So just 20 minutes every day, rage journal about this situation, no filter, no censor, no nothing, and destroy that paper once the timer is up. This is going to be a way for you to start feeling emotions. And when you start feeling emotions, you're going to notice You're going to notice them. You're going to feel them. You're going to feel them in your body. Just notice where in your body the emotion is and feel into it. And when you feel into it without judgment, and when I say without judgment, I I mean um, like without this attitude of how long is this going to take or why do I still feel this? Why am I feeling this? I shouldn't be feeling this. This is stupid. I should be over this. Whatever narratives are going on into your head, like just be aware of it. And stop judging yourself, right? When you feel into it without that judgment, you can actually observe the intensity of the emotion going down and then you can actually let it go because then it's gone. It just goes away. And, you know, as always, seek support if, if you need to when it comes to doing this emotional work because it's, it's not easy. And this is literally why I got into coaching to begin with because I totally re-traumatized myself when I first started doing the work. <laughs> So, you know, it, it wasn't until much later that I started working with my own coaches. I still work with my own coaches to this day. I work with multiple coaches, okay? Like, I don't just have one coach. I have coaches for different things. And, you know, there's no shame in that. And I am totally open and honest and okay with saying that. Um, because we can't do life alone. We're not designed to do life alone. And unfortunately, for a lot of us... Um, going to assume for you too if you're listening to this podcast and if you've gotten this far in the episode wow (laughs) amazing I really hope this is helping you um you probably don't have that support from your family because your family is not okay with emotions right and you probably don't have that support from your friends because they have no fucking idea how to identify with you and they can't hold that space for, for you and this is why you know, it's so great that the internet exists. It's so great how connected we are as like a species on this planet. Like I help people 
all over the world to heal from this kind of stuff. Um, so this is literally why I decided to get into coaching because I get it. Like not everybody has someone that they can actually talk to or, you know, if they do think they have people that they can talk to, it's not really helpful. You're just venting. And that doesn't solve a whole lot if you're not getting to the root of the issue and solutions on moving past the issue. So that is what coaching is all about. So if that is something that interests you, definitely let's chat. Again, everything is going to be in the description. And yeah, I'm just going to end this episode here. I really hope that this has been helpful for anybody going through, you know, those thoughts of like, am I going to regret setting these boundaries when my narcissistic parent dies, right? Or like just that whole, what if they die? Like fucking fear that comes with the territory. And I just, I really hope that this has shown you that like everything's going to be okay. Um, you can absolutely get through it and you, you're not going to regret it because at the end of the day, when you're choosing yourself, you're you're doing the most awesome thing you possibly can right we have been taught to abandon ourselves as children <laughs> literally as children we've been taught to freaking abandon ourselves and how we feel and you know that has to stop because you can't heal without feeling and the longest relationship that you're going to have is the relationship that you have with yourself, okay? That is the absolute longest and most important relationship that you will ever, ever, ever have. So, you know, just be aware of that. And when you work on the relationship that you have with yourself, magic happens. And you learn about self-love and you understand what it is to love yourself. And then the narcissist shit doesn't phase you as much. And, you know, like you can get through anything, like even the death of a narcissistic parent that you've been fearing for your entire life. You can absolutely get through it. If I could do it, so can you. Um, so, yeah, I'm just going to end off with this. Um, I really hope this has been helpful and we will catch you on the next episode that I have. I haven't really been consistently posting on Wednesdays my episodes. <laughs> Um, but I'm, I'm posting more episodes than usual. So, um, yeah, I guess I'll just end this with, we'll see you whenever the next episode happens. <laughs> so yeah, we'll talk to you guys next time. I hope this was helpful. Bye.